listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Indeed. Greetings and hello there. This is the Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host and wife, Melissa. Hello, everybody. I'm fresh back from the uh, the Tacoma Guitar Festival. Ooh. Oh yeah, just a big guitar show down there in Tacoma, Washington, where I spoke to scores of adoring Fret Files fans. I'm positive that's true. It's not, actually. I didn't... Well, one guy. There was one guy. There was one guy that came up and mentioned the show. I actually was a little disappointed. I thought that... I thought there might be a couple people mentioning the show. No, just one. That's okay. What did he say? He just said he liked the show. What was his name? Uh, didn't put me on the spot, huh? Yeah, because he's listening right now. Yeah, I remember his name. But I'm not going to mention it. Oh, okay. You know, I don't, I don't want him to, I don't want to out him. Right. All right, in well. In front of his friends. Tacoma, Fret Files listener, we salute you. It was a little embarrassing that, no, well, not really. I mean, I don't care. You know, those guitar shows are funny. I. It's really, it's like, it's like having a booth at the fair selling corn dogs. It's really the same as that, except there's no corn dogs. Why isn't there any corn dogs? There should, be, there should be corn dogs, actually. But, uh, you know, you're just standing on your feet, and you're just talking to people, and it's just... You, there's almost no deals ever happen at those guitar shows. Well, then what are they for? I know, right? Uh, what does happen is all the dealers swap and trade gear. Oh. And it's good advertising for your shop. You know, maybe there were people there that had never heard of... Emerald City Guitars, which I doubt, but it's possible. Yeah, sure. Right? I guess so. But uh, I didn't promote the podcast at all, which maybe I should have done. I don't know. How do you, how are you going to do that, though? A banner? Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's also embarrassing. I just, I'm not flyers? even... A, I'm just not a self-promoter, which is probably why uh, this podcast is just kind of a footnote. No. To, it's embarrassed. It's n- no, it's a good podcast. Yeah. And I don't mind being embarrassed. I'll be embarrassed for you. For me or for the listener? For the listener. All right. It's, you know, the most embarrassing... You, have I ever told you the story about being in the, the itty-bitty blues band? Um, why don't you tell it? You know, I used to gig a lot and. You know, mostly locally, I was gigging, uh, uh, and I would f- do a lot of fill-in work in different blues bands, and people would 
call me up just at a, sometimes at the drop of a hat and say, hey, I got a gig tomorrow. Can you come fill in the guitar player sick or something or whatever it was? Or just last minute gig, you know, the band canceled. We're throwing together a band. Well, there was a band once. This uh, uh, promoter guy called me up and said, uh, I put together this little band called the Itty Bitty Blues Band, and they just play maybe once a year, and the normal guitar player uh, can't make it. So would you like to come play, you know, instead of him? And I said, sure. And so, uh, I mean, I didn't know anything about the gig or the band, but it's all blues, and it's... If you know blues, you can sit in with anybody that's playing blues. So <clears throat> he uh, actually offered to give me a ride to the show. So he comes and picks me up, and he says, uh, "I really appreciate you doing this gig. I, I know you're you're actually you're you're actually really big to to play in the itty bitty blues band." And I thought, "Wow, that's a nice compliment." And I said, "Wow, well, I appreciate that, you know. And I do gig a lot, you know." And I mean, you know, I've been playing for a long time, and I, but I don't think I'm some big star or anything like that. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm all full of myself. You know, he said it, not me. I mean, right, he's, yeah, he's sure. you're awfully big to be playing in the itty bitty blues band. And he he let me go on for quite a while, which he shouldn't have. Done. But he stopped me and he said, "Well, let me explain maybe something to you that you don't understand. The itty bitty blues band." is all entirely made up of very, very short people. <laughs> and it's not that you're some big star. It's that you're 5'10", and we're going to need you to sit down for this gig. <laughs> uh, and the whole night was just torture after that. That is hilarious. I'm, I'm a little big to be playing in the itty-bitty blues band. Yeah. In stature. Yeah. So... That's my story. All right. Should we read some questions? Yeah, I guess so. Absolutely. Let's dig right in. All right. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Melissa's giggling. <laughs> okay. Hi, Eric. My name is John in Brooklyn, New York. My plan is to use a single, single coil pickup mounted centrally in the span of my body. Let me stop you right there. I think you should mount it on the guitar. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions as to whether to use a neck pickup or a bridge pickup for the maximum amount of versatility in this already limited configuration? Any insight you have may keep me from pulling out my hair a little down the line. Thanks for your podcast. I've been enjoying it a heck of a lot. From John. Yeah, John, thanks for submitting a question. You know, um, yeah, it's an interesting question. Th the idea of a neck pickup and a bridge pickup is a bit of a misnomer. The only reason, <clears throat> the only reason that, there, that there's a delineation is that you want the hotter pickup to be in the bridge position. Reason being is that the string vibrates more up by the neck, so you want uh, a hotter pickup down by the bridge to compensate for that because the string isn't moving very much by the bridge. Um, so if you've only got one pickup, really, uh, you're not limited by um, comparing any pickups. What you want is a pickup that suits 
your style and a pickup that is going to give you the sound that you're after. So if you like a high gain pickup, use a high gain pickup. If you like a bright, zingy, underwound pickup, go with that. Um, I would probably recommend just using something middle of the road and unless you have a very strong inclination one way or the other, but, uh, to, uh, uh, yeah, bridge versus neck pickup there, you know, if you like, if you buy a strat set from Seymour Duncan or, or Jason Lawler or somebody like that, the neck pickup might be, uh, 6.3 K ohms. And then the bridge pickup might be six point, you know, seven K ohms, just a slightly hotter, uh, pickup, but really not a huge difference. Um, and it's only because of, like I said, the string vibrates more towards the neck. So really just use the pickup you want. Use the pickup that gets the sound you want and don't worry too much about whether it's a bridge or a neck pickup. Uh, the only time it really makes a difference is, of course, on like a Telecaster, they're completely different pickups, or sometimes the, the string spacing, the pole piece spacing is quite different um, on some pickups, uh, usually humbuckers. But if you're just going to use a single coil pickup, just use one that you think is going to sound good and don't worry about whether it's a, a neck or a bridge pickup. Sweet. How do you like that? Thanks for the question, John. Thanks, John. Next question, please. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Thank you so much for continuing this awesome podcast. I find myself taking notes constantly and laughing my butt off in a good way. Anyway, what is your take on the difference between pre-war and wartime Gibson guitars? I know that there were a lot of women taking over men's jobs due to the war and just wondering if there were any changes in materials or quality. I've also heard Gibson made toys at their factory during that time, too. Can you confirm this? Thanks so much for your time. Trevor. Cool. <clears throat> yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, pre-war versus wartime Gibson, um, there were some material differences and there were some other differences. Um, but it's hard to quantify because it was such a time of um, the rapid change with Gibson that to compare pre-war and post-war and wartime is a little unfair. There were some differences like... Uh, there, there are some wartime uh, Gibson acoustics that don't have steel adjustable truss rods because steel was, uh, there was a shortage, yeah, sure. you know, for the war. So, yeah. um, so you do run into that, you know, but it was such a, like I say, such a time of change. I mean, there, you know, there's models that you can get right during the wartime years that weren't previously available. So it's hard to really make a comparison. Um, but the craftsmanship, you know, the the gals that took over, they call them the Kalamazoo gals that took over during the wartime. Uh, they did a fantastic job. They're, those are great guitars. Those wartime guitars are great guitars. There didn't, uh, not to my knowledge, didn't seem to be any huge shortage of, of um, the woods that they were using because uh, uh, I, I don't... I'm not aware of that, but I, I suppose I could be wrong about that. But um, <clears throat> it was mostly just about s steel. But yeah, the craftsmanship is good. Um, and you're right, Gibson did make toys for a while. That was more during the Depression years than the, the wartime years. Um, they Yeah, they made uh, children's toys, wooden toys, under, under the name Kel Croydon. 
Interesting. And under the name Kalamazoo uh, Playthings or something like that. Kalamazoo Toy Company or Kalamazoo Playthings Company, something like that. Yeah, they made toys. It must have been really embarrassing <clears throat> for them, actually. Why is that? Well, they almost went out of business. They uh-huh. had to make toys. They had to I see. resort to making toys to make ends meet. What kind of toys did they make? Just little wooden toys, like a little wooden train. I've seen pictures of them. I think they're quite rare because I've been... Actually, I've been looking for some on eBay for years because I, it'd be a cool thing to have. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and I've never seen them pop up. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm sure they're out there, but if they do pop up, they the people selling probably don't know the history of them. Right. You know? Maybe they do. I don't know. But... Uh, yeah, they made toys for a while, and then they really uh, <clears throat> had a big comeback with uh, really nice archtop guitars after after they made toys for a while. So they really redeemed themselves there, and then then came the wartime years. But yeah, cool. Thanks, Trevor. Eric, question for the show. <clears throat> oh, before you go on, you know I. I'm really doing a bad job being a talk show host here, aren't I? If you want to participate in the show, and I really would highly recommend that you do, because I can't do the show unless I get questions submitted. So submit a question to the show, even if you think it's a dumb question. That's what I want. We will decide. I want dumb questions. The dumber, the better. Sweet. No, not really. But there's really, there's no such thing as a dumb question. If you think it's a legitimate question, send it in. And you can do so by going to ericdaw.com. It's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click the contact link and email your question there. The other way to do it is to call the show. And you can do that by calling 757-774-8482. And that's just a 24-hour voicemail. You can just leave a message. You can also text that number if you'd rather. So, yeah. Submit a question to the show, and, uh, yeah, and you'll hear your question, like, be like this next one. Very exciting. Eric, question for the show. Lately, I've been experimenting with and writing songs in open G tuning. I set up my modern American Telecaster, Keith Richard style, with five strings, no sixth string, and it plays and stays in tune great. Then I decided I would set up one of my Les Paul Juniors for Open G because I also really like the P90s over the Tele pickups for my style of playing. My main standard tuning guitar is also a Les Paul Junior with P90s. My problem is that with the LP Junior I set up with the five string Open G setup, the third string or the G string will not stay in tune. This is getting complicated. Yes. That last <laughs> sentence was. Uh, this was not a problem with the telly I set up for five-string open G or with the same LP Junior when it was set up with six strings and standard tuning. Any thoughts or advice on what to check or adjust? The string gauges for the open G that he's using on the LP Junior are the first string is 11, second is 15, third is 18 unwound, fourth 30, fifth 42, and the sixth is vacant. The Les Paul Jr. previously had Ernie Ball 11 nickel rockers and had no tuning issues. Also, the fret job on the Mustang turned out great. It plays like a dream. Oh, yeah. Thanks, man. You're doing the Lord's work. That's our friend Zach. Oh, 
Oh, hey, Zach. Uh... So I kind of have a normal, um, <clears throat> I kind of have a normal uh, way I approach a tuning problem, and uh, just about the first thing that you want to do is is try a different string. If it's just one string, he says it's just the G string, right? Yep. Get rid of it and try a fresh string. I've seen plenty of strings with. Um, <clears throat> problems I, excuse me i'm just losing my voice here well you're getting over a cold right yeah i am it was uh yeah uh try a fresh string you might have a bad string there also the saddles may have moved while you were while you were mixing things up there restringing and all that so you want to check it against an accurate tuner make sure the intonation is on the other thing, um, you know, with a bad string, a lot of times, I've seen this a lot on plain strings, it'll start unraveling down by the ball end, and so it'll just get a little bit more flat all the time until finally it breaks down at the ball end. It'll drive you crazy for a few days while you're trying to figure out what's going on. Hmm. Just try a fresh string on there. That's probably what, what's going on. If it's not the string, it's the placement of your saddle, and beyond that... Um, it gets more complicated. So it's probably one of those two things. All right. Thanks, Zach. Yeah. Hi, Eric. Just one question for your input on another parts project I am pondering. That's a good alliteration mm. right there. Parts project he's pondering. How have you found the music craft next to be? How do they compare with the other replacement mats? Next. Thanks, Steve. Music craft makes great necks. Um... The ones that I've seen uh, were very well made, nice and straight, <clears throat> great fretwork, good quality wood. You know, I could probably... Yeah, I mean, how do they compare to other guitar companies? They're they're comparable to uh, uh, all of the upper-end uh, makers that are making necks and bodies, you know, like... USA Custom, and some people would include uh, Warmoth, and I, I don't even know. I can't even think off the top of my head. Uh, but, yeah, they're great. They're good. You know, the main differences on a lot of these uh, makers, a lot of the necks, is uh, little things like how they contour things. Some companies make great necks, but I hate the way they're contoured. Uh, other companies are fond of using the headstock adjustment, truss rod adjustment, where it's where you adjust it at the headstock. I mean, we're talking fender style necks here. I like them to be adjusted down to the butt end of the neck, like a vintage one. Um, Musicraft does both, I think. A lot of companies do both. Yeah. Anyway, Musicraft does great necks, especially <clears throat> their Blackguard series necks. Those are really. Those are really nice necks. You'll pay dearly for them, but they're, uh, yeah, they're well made. All right. Yeah. Next question. Thanks for your question, Steve. A few questions for the podcast in regards to the Fender Jazzmaster. What are the pluses and minuses of using either a mastery bridge or a stay trim bridge as a replacement for the awful original bridge? And which of the two would you recommend? For vintage Jazzmaster sound, which pickups do you recommend? 
A lot of people like Seymour Duncan Antiquity 2s and Curtis Novak pickups. Love the podcast. It's great. And wet socks also drive me crazy. <laughs> I'm not sure I know what that means. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn Madison, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Thanks for the question, Glenn. You know, I didn't know what he was talking about either until I remembered something. Is it from a previous podcast? No. Uh, on our lovely host website, ufoship.com. Uh-huh. It's run by Michael Van Dieven. Hey, Michael. <clears throat> uh, and we love being part of the ufoship.com. For sure. Uh, podcast. Uh, family. Family. Yeah. He has a link on there that says things MV hates. It's <laughs> MV for short. You know, Michael Van Dieven, MV. Things MV hates, and there's a whole list of things that he hates, and one of those things is wet socks, and it's a really funny little read if you, you're ever bored and you want to see things that Michael Van Dieven hates. Uh, one of those things is wet socks. Well, yeah. I think that's pretty... Uh, it's a pretty universal. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thing. But that's funny. Yeah. So he's getting me confused with Michael Van Dieven, or maybe not. Maybe it's just a reference. I don't know, but it made me laugh. Yeah. Uh, so mastery bridge or stay trim. I have to admit, I don't, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the stay trim bridge. Uh, I should have looked it up on the intranet. Yeah. On the web. Uh, get the net. Yeah. Right. The mastery bridge. I, I like it's good. I don't know. My favorite. And I've mentioned this before is, uh, to use a Mustang bridge. It looks right. It intonates well. The, the thing I don't like about the Mastery Bridge is if you want to use something with a wound G, like a, like a flat wound set, you really can't intonate it very well because there's only two saddles. One for the bass strings, one for the treble strings. So you can tilt them, and it works pretty good for a standard set where you're going to use a three wound and three plain strings, but you can't really intonate it for anything else. And it's, I don't know, its it looks like Darth Vader's mask to me. It just is a goofy-looking bridge. It, I don't want to denigrate it, because it really is a well-made bridge. And I really applaud whoever's making the Mastery Bridge. It's, it's really well-made, and uh, it's an impressive thing. Personally, if I had a Jazz Master, and I don't want to say I never would, but I never would... <laughs> But if I had a Jazzmaster, uh, I would put Mustang saddles on it. That's what I like. They look right, and they work. The only time that I would steer you against that is if the neck on that Jazzmaster is not <clears throat> the vintage radius, the seven and a quarter radius, because the Mustang saddles are preset to a seven and a quarter inch radius, and if you've got a ten inch radius on your Jazzmaster or anything other than seven and a quarter inch, it's not going to work right. There you go. Yeah, but I agree. The stock Jazzmaster bridge is a nightmare. There's a lot of things about a Jazzmaster that's a nightmare. Really, it's Fender's lemon. It's Fender's Edsel. That's how I feel about it. If you're a fan of Jazzmasters, don't be offended. It's no big deal. You know, you like chocolate. I like vanilla. It's no big deal. Right? Right. Personally... I don't like them. I, the angle from the bridge to the tailpiece is not steep enough. The strings jump out of the saddles. The tone isn't... It sounds like a sitar. The pickups are the worst pickups Fender ever made. 
because they hum like crazy. There's no way around it. It's it's the loudest pickup, with the exception of maybe the Charlie Christian pickup, as far as extra hum goes. What else can I complain about? Yeah, why don't you tell us how you really feel? Yeah, for real. But, hey, they look cool. They look, they look super cool. Oh, the tremolo is a steaming... Uh, (laughs) you know, I mean, it, it's not my thing. That's all. But, you know, Les Pauls aren't my thing either. What do I know? I'm just a dude who is doing a podcast. I like Telecasters. Maybe you hate Telecasters. That doesn't make me think any less of you. (laughs) Right. Uh, so don't get all upset about my opinion because there are so many fine players who love Jazzmasters. That um, I'm just, you know, I just say what I think. What do you want? What do you want? Right. However, I do have an opinion on the pickups, as, right. he, as he is asked here. Seymour Duncan Antiqu- Antiquity 2s or Curtis Novaks or something else? I would recommend option three, Jason Lawler. Very nice. Yeah. He's a previous guest on this podcast. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. He makes really good Jazzmaster pickups, but... The difference between the Duncan Antiquities, the Curtis Novaks, and the Jason Lawlers is going to be real, real slight. I mean, they're all making high-quality pickups out of high-quality components. Um, you can't really go wrong with any one of those choices, except for the fact that you're going to put them in a jazz master. <laughs> Uh, I'm exaggerating for fun. It's in, it's supposed to be an entertaining show, right? Sure. Yeah, what? How how much fun is it if I don't have opinions? I have to have opinions, right? That's really how I feel. I'm glad. I can tell that you. <laughs> she's given me this look. Like, can we just move along now? Thanks, Glenn. And I don't mean to talk bad about your Jazzmaster. I'm sure it's awesome. Uh, Jazzmasters are cool. I'm just being a. Uh, you know, we're, we're I'm trying just being this difficult. Thing. We're trying this thing, Eric and I, where we try and be nice to people. It's difficult. It is hard. Even. Especially when you've done the opposite your entire, entire life. life. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. <clears throat> Eric, I've been catching up on your podcasts. One had a segment about a Les Paul prototype guitar coming up at auction. There appears to be one guitar on the market for the asking price of $1 million. And I'll include the link to the YouTube video announcing that from October 2014. It's a Telecaster that Jimmy Vaughn gave Stevie Ray Vaughn as a teenager. So, a cool million, and the next thing you know, it's on a stand in the living room for those moments when some Texas shuffle is the only thing that will do. Yeah, there's the link. There's the link, and then it's from Sean. That's cool, Sean. Million dollars, I'll pass. Yeah. If I had it, I would definitely sell it. If I had it, you know, I can appreciate the guy that owns that guitar saying he wants a million, but I guarantee you he would take way less than that. Yeah. That's just his starting price. Right. But to my... Yeah, to my knowledge... uh. That would be the first time an electric guitar has fetched over a million dollars. That is really an insane price. And uh, it is not worth near that. It's not worth a quarter of that. That's my opinion. 
Well, and it, it, yeah, it says it's a Telecaster, but it, it doesn't say anything else about it. Uh, or did, did you look at it? No, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Whatever. But yeah, see these things, you know, these famous people give other famous people these gifts and they're like, I don't even care. Well, I'm sure, you know, I mean, they were brothers and this was when they were teenagers and, you know, right. Jimmy Vaughn basically taught Stevie Ray Vaughn how to play guitar in some aspects, right? So, right. um, there's that, you know, I'm a big, I'm a bigger Jimmy Vaughn fan than I am a Stevie Ray Vaughn fan. I, I want it cause Jimmy Vaughn had it, <laughs> right. but I ain't paying no million dollars for it. Yeah. Uh, I got to play Jimmy Vaughn's guitar once, you know? Yeah. You worked yeah, on it. Yeah. Yeah. I met him. He's There's a super nice guy. A cool picture of you guys pointing at each other. Yeah. My friend John Guilford said that it looked like we were deciding on who was going to pay for the pizza. As we're pointing at each other. Yeah. And uh, you guys looked down and you were wearing the same boots, right? That's true. That's a pretty good That story. was a real moment. I'm talking to Jimmy Vaughn. And we're talking about, of all things, we're talking about Buddy Holly. He brought it up. <laughs> he, he comes did, to see me. Did you make this up? Because no. Because this sounds like a, he a comes to see. He came to see me where I work, and talked to me about Buddy Holly. And I felt like... You got okay, big doe eyes, like... I can <gasps> die now. I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to turn into a fangirl. So I really tried to play it cool, but... <laughs> hey, Jimmy Vaughn. Yeah. He's, he is my favorite living guitar player. That's pretty good. Yeah. And you got to meet him and work on his guitar. And was just a super nice guy, but yeah, at some point during the conversation... Uh, I looked down and we were wearing the same cowboy boots. And I thought, wow. And now you're best Dad? friends. Dad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we're not best friends. I haven't talked to him since. But I do have his phone number. He texted me. Uh, he did? It, yeah. He we he took a picture of us together on his phone and then texted it to me. Oh, I see. Yeah. I thought you meant like a few months later. Hey, Eric. It's Jimmy Vaughn. <laughs> you want to hang out next yeah. weekend? Thanks right. for the question, Sean. Really appreciate it, man. It Thanks for listening. Yeah, it's a comment. It was, yeah, it was great. It's perfect. Eric, love your podcast. My son, a 14-year-old jazz guitarist, which is awesome, by the way, mm -hmm. plays an Epiphone dot for his school guitar and jazz band. Totally stock. It's a fine starter instrument, but it is not very loud. He only uses a neck pickup while playing jazz. Would it help to retrofit a different pickup in the neck position, or can you suggest another solution? The problem arises because he is plugged into an amp with six other guitarists in the high school jazz band. What? And even with the guitar at max volume, he finds it quieter than the others. They are all plugged into the same amp via some sort of multiple line-in adapter. The other guitars seem to have more volume, though, even with the volume controls set on 10. I thought maybe it was because it was an inexpensive guitar. The pickup outputs were simply too low. Many thanks. Paul. Thanks for the question, Paul. I think that the answer is that uh, uh, you got six guitar players plugged into one amp. Seven. Oh, six beside him. Right. Uh, that's causing impedance problems. I'm sure of it. That's not right. So that could be part of the problem. That could be causing impedance problems that uh, is just... I've noticed this before, like on uh, on amps with multiple inputs. 
input one will be louder than input two will be louder than input three. I don't know if it's wired that way by design or if it's just because I, that, I don't know. I think that that's part of the problem. However, have you checked uh, the height of the pickups? Because if his pickups are too far away from the strings, then it's going to be relatively quiet compared to the other guitars. Uh, you know, swapping out the pickups will give you better tone, but I don't think it's going to be much louder. So I would check pickup height. Uh, optimally, it should be uh, if you if you hold down the string at the last fret, then the neck pickup should be maybe two or three millimeters away from that from the low E string. Um, so get out your calipers. Yeah, well, just a just a millimeter ruler or whatever. Uh, so yeah, if the pickups are real low, that's causing the problem. The only other suggestion I have for you is to maybe use some kind of boost pedal. But that could start a, a volume war if everybody brings in a boost pedal, then pretty soon that that amp is going to go up in smoke. <laughs> I, I have a solution. Have your son surreptitiously unplug all the other guitar players that before could, yeah. the concert starts. Or, here you go, Get while they're not amp. looking, lower their pickups. There you go. Huh? There you go. Uh, yeah, I think that the pickups might be too far away, or there's an impedance problem, or I don't know, something. And, la you know, if every other guitar player has a guitar that has active pickups, like EMG with an onboard preamp or something, then yeah, his guitar is going to be quieter, and there's not going to be anything you can do about it. But I doubt it. They're probably all using pretty similar guitars. It's a jazz, it's a jazz band. Yeah. They've all got... Epiphones, probably. I don't know. Maybe strats? I don't know. Those are my suggestions. Uh, let me know how, you know, this goes for anybody to, uh, let me know how my suggestions work for you. Give me, give me some follow-up uh, feedback. Let me know uh, how that worked out. Yeah. Yeah. We Thank can have a, a running a thing. A follow-up. Thanks for the question, Paul. Hey, Eric. I love your podcast. What are some great tips on nut slot filing, and can low action be achieved with thin strings, or are thick strings better? Cheers, Jonathan from Victoria, Canada. Some tips on nut slot filing. Well, um, my first tip would be to use the proper tool. Uh, you can get good nut slot files from all kinds of places like Stuart McDonald. And uh, you want to make sure that as you cut the slot, you're angling the slot towards the tuners. Um, the leading edge of the nut should be facing the fret, and the slot should be angled downwards toward the tuners. You also want to make sure that... You know what I like to do after I uh, cut nut slots is um, I'll take... A string, not a guitar string, but an actual actual string string, cloth string, cotton string, and rub a little bit of uh, polishing compound on it, <clears throat> and run it through the slot like I'm flossing a tooth, and it just polishes that slot. You can use a little bit of sandpaper, just real fine sandpaper, and then use some polish on a string and polish the slot up, and then when you're done, you want to put graphite in each slot. 
Um, I don't know what else to really say about it. Uh, uh, you could write an entire book about that, so, yeah. Why don't you? I don't have time to do that. I don't really want to do that. Uh, and... Can low action be achieved with thin strings, or are thick strings better? Yeah, it can. I don't know. A lot of it depends on the guitar, and a lot of it depends on you. How do you pluck the string? Can um, you elaborate? Well, uh, I set up guitars for people all day long, and then they come pick them up, and some people have the lightest touch. Uh, you wouldn't believe it. Like, some people just barely pluck the strings, and those people can get away with light strings and low action. It also depends on the guitar. Not all fret jobs are perfect. You know, and if you've got a cheap guitar or a guitar with a poor fret job, then you might have problems getting it to play cleanly with a low action. Some people play really heavy-handedly, so those people are are going to have a hard time with any string on any guitar. <laughs> uh, no, you know, heavier... The, the, the general theory is lighter strings are easier to play and heavier strings are harder to play but give you better tone. So there's a trade-off. So usually you want to find a middle road. Like, nines are too light for me. Twelves are too heavy. I usually play 10s or 11s. Hmm. Yeah. But it's all personal preference when it comes to action height within certain parameters. Too low is too low. There's just, you know, you, you, the strings have to be far up enough off the frets that they're not going to buzz. But like I say, a lot of it depends on how you how you pluck the string. Exper- sit around and, and pluck a string for a while and pluck it. You know, you can pluck a string side to side. You can pluck a string... Uh, like a like a sewing machine up and down. Do you know Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, sure. Um, and that that has a big different that it makes the string vibrate a different way. And I've seen a lot of people who they just have a knack for making a string buzz. You have to get some finesse going on. Learn how to play your guitar so that it. Uh, you're giving me a dirty look. No, I thought you were just going to stop saying, and learn how to play the guitar. I'm not, no, people, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, I'm saying learn how to manipulate a string to get different sounds out of it, to, to make it do different things. Um, yeah, I don't know. We're going off on a tangent here. Jonathan, thank you for the question. Thank you. I do appreciate it. I would, I would love it if you would submit a question. Again, ericdaw.com. Click the contact link, send me a question, or call 757-774-8482. Hey, Eric. Love the show. I was reading about Buddy Holly's final Stratocaster, the one he played on his final tour, and the restoration that was done on it by John Page in the late 90s. I came across something interesting in the article. It claims that the early Strats came from the factory with all five strings, springs attached to the tremolo, and tightened up so that the bridge rests on the body. The article further states that the floating tremolo thing was something that didn't happen until later. I remember you talking about this in a past episode, but you said that the old ones were designed to float from the factory. 
That contradicts what the article said. Have you ever heard of the 50 strats being shipped with the bridge decked down tight against the body? The article claims that it was unlikely that Buddy made the adjustment himself, and it probably came from the factory that way. Just wanted to get your take on it, since it involves t- two things that you seem to be an expert on. Buddy Holly and Vintage Fenders. <laughs> Cheers, Reggie. Thanks, Reggie. He loves the Buddy Holly questions, guys. I do. I I keep thinking we're going to do an episode that con- contains no Buddy Holly references, but it's obvious that's not going to happen. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, here's my take on that. I, d- I think that that article's wrong. The 50s Fender Strats were shipped with the tremolo floating. And there's a few reasons that I think that. A, if you look at the original patent for that tremolo, you can look it up on, uh, on the internet very easily. The original Stratocaster Bridge tremolo, <clears throat> if you look at that patent, in the drawing, it's floating. It was designed to float. The other thing that makes me think this is that uh, Leo, when he designed it, um, was going off of the input of some players. And the players were saying, hey, we like Paul Bigsby's tremolo, where you can go up and down with the note. The only way to get that on a Strat tremolo is if you float it up and down with in the pitch. So it's floating. But the third and most important reason why I know that those left the factory with the bridge floating is that if you uh, if you take a vintage strat and you put all five springs on there so that the tremolo is flush against the body, decked tight against the top, the holes in the block, the holes in the back, no longer line up with the holes in the tremolo plate cover. That's a pretty important thing. Yeah. I am sure... It was designed to float. The whole, um, <clears throat> the whole tremolo being flush with the body was a player preference thing that some players just did. That's my opinion. I wasn't there in the 50s. I don't know for 100% sure, but I would bet everything I own that those came from the factory floating. I'm sure they did, because it just doesn't make sense that the holes don't line up if you flush the tram with the body, the holes no longer line up. That's a pretty important thing, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, I also disagree with the article that Buddy Holly wouldn't have done that himself. Buddy Holly was a, a sharp guy. He was known to be um, a technically minded guy. He tooled leather. He, uh, I'm pretty sure he worked on motorcycles. He was a motorcycle freak. You know, he had mechanical experience. He was a tinkerer. Um, he was getting, like, on, uh, I think it's on the song uh, Peggy Sue. They, he, you know, there's, back in those days, you, a Strat had a three-way switch. And you could get kind of a secret sound by putting the switch in between one of the settings. And then you could get two pickups on simultaneously. It's something that happened later when Fender started started putting five-way switches on the Strat that you could get that setting automatically but back in the old days it only had a three-way switch well buddy knew that and he would use those in-between settings if you just 
left this switch halfway in between two pickups, you could get both pickups on at the same time. So he was a technically minded guy. He did not use the tremolo. Hmm. I've never, in all the footage I've seen of Buddy playing and all the Buddy Holly songs, I can't think of any time I've heard him use the tremolo. So I'm sure he did that himself. That it's it makes sense to me. So yeah, that's my uh, that's my t- what a great question. Thanks, Reggie. That's awesome. I love it. Very nice. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Reggie. Yeah, absolutely. So that's all the questions we got. Stick around because I've got uh, some more questions after the break, some calls, and then we're going to do an interview with Gene Nygaard of Zero Guitars. Very cool. Yeah. Have you seen Gene's guitars? Uh, I, I haven't, the, but the I've met ones? Gene. I know. You, I'm sure you have. Oh, yeah. You've met Gene. Gene's a good guy. Oh, he makes cool guitars. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to be a great interview, so stick around. We'll be right back after this. You know, I don't know if you know this, but my wife makes incredible leather goods, specifically guitar straps. She makes hand-tooled, amazing guitar straps, and she's sitting right here looking embarrassed. Thank you for saying that they're beautiful. And um, if you want to check out my guitar straps, you can head over to melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. And that will direct you straight to my Etsy site, where, if you so wish, you can purchase and receive a beautiful, handmade, made-to-order guitar strap from yours truly. Do you take custom orders? I do. They're beautiful. You have to see them. Melcoleather.com. Right? Right. Uh, As I make guitars, you know, we share a shop in the backyard there. As I'm making guitars, she's sitting in the other corner making straps, and I see her make these straps. She's so meticulous and so gifted. And Thanks. You're such a craftsman. Craftswoman? You're such a crafty person. You're so crafty. (laughs) Uh, Really high-quality leather, handmade leather guitar straps. Check them out. MelcoLeather.com. This is Jay Boone, owner of Emerald City Guitars in downtown Seattle, the best source for vintage guitars and amplifiers, not only on the West Coast, but around the world. As we embark on our 20th year of business down here in Pioneer Square, we are striving to continue to bring you great service and great products. We're remodeling our whole store this year, and it's going to be amazing. We're also redoing our website, emeraldcityguitars.com, for our online customers around the world. We'd like to give a big shout-out of appreciation for all your patronage over all the years down here at Emerald City Guitars, and we really strive to continue to bring the best that we can to our customers. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com or visit our shop at 83 South Washington Street in downtown Seattle. Our business line is 206 382 0231 and we're open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Remember, Emerald City Guitars, the best source for vintage guitars and amplifiers and service and repair. 
my sincere apologies to whoever called. Uh, I've done something and ruined the file. Uh, the MP3 file of the call is not going to work. So it wasn't anything you did. It was my fault entirely. So try it again. 757 774 And I'll use your call next month. Uh, and that uh, goes for anybody. You should call. Leave me a message. I don't get that many calls. So you should really, if you want to participate in the show, you should really consider calling. I get a lot of emails, though, and if you want to email, that's fine, too. Go to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and email your question or comment there. Well, since we don't have any calls to use this month, uh, we'll go right to our interview. Joining me now on the phone is Mr. Gene Nygaard, the maker of Zero Guitars. Howdy, Gene. Hi, Eric. Uh, I was thinking today of how long we've known each other, and I, I'm not even sure. It's got to be at least 15 years or so, maybe not quite that long. Yeah, I, was, I would say it's about 15, maybe more. I'm not sure. And uh, you've been making guitars as long as I've known you, but probably way before that. When? How long have you been making guitars? Uh, about uh, 92, I started messing with uh, doing the, the zero thing. Where did the where did the name come from? Is that is that like zero uh the Japanese fighter pilots? Well, it is it, <laughs> kind of connected with that uh because I had gone down to Boeing surplus here in uh actually down in Kent. Yeah. And I was thinking about building a, a metal-bodied guitar because I'm a slide player. Yeah. So that kind of started the whole thing. And then as far as the name, for some reason, Zero came in and that had something to do with planes. But actually, a Japanese Zero is made out of canvas. So, Oh, really? Yeah. So oh. actually, the whole idea of the name of the guitar is uh, basically a lot of nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've always liked your designs. They they remind me a little bit of Dan Electro designs. Have you taken kind of some inspiration from Dan Electro designs? Um, I mean, everything is an influence out there. Sure. But uh, I would say... Um, uh, I'm kind of old school because I come from a playing background, and I figure, uh, I mean, some of the stuff is LP-like, and a lot of stuff isn't. So it's uh, kind of old school as far as the approach of the general design. So they're made of aluminum, usually, right? Aluminum. Yeah, the first one I made was all aluminum with uh, a mahogany. Um, board through the structure inside, but yeah. they're semi-hollow, and then with a kind of a curving thing done. So it's kind of to simplify what they're how they're made. It's uh, it's kind of like the interior of a Gibson 335. Mm, yeah, I've always wanted to ask you. I've always wondered how you bend the. The sides is that a uh, is that a, a trade secret? <laughs> um, 
Not really. It's it's the thickness of the sides. Um, uh, they're about twenty two thousandths thick, hmm. and the tops run around fifty thousandths. Oh, okay. So there's enough give in the sides to where you can work it around the, well, I guess you'd have to call it a frame of the guitar, which is the actual curving, because I do the sides first, hmm. and then the top and, and then the back. And I've I've asked you be, I've asked you before what kind of glue you use, but you won't tell me. I know you won't tell me what kind of glue you use, <laughs> but uh, no, I I tried many things, and uh, that's a trade secret. Yeah, arf, arf. <laughs> What's your favorite part of What's your favorite part of the build? Do you like making the body, or do you like working with the neck? Uh, I know you hate painting, like I do. My my favorite part is after the scut work is done, like the basic build. Um, as long as I'm coming up with something that pleases me as far as the shape. Yeah. After after the body is assembled, then from that point I can decide what I'm going to do to the aluminum. If yeah. I'm going to paint it, if I'm going to... Um, kind of do a design on it or do it plain or yeah. put binding on it, mm-hmm. whatnot, you know. So that that's the fun part. But the actual start of the build, you're dealing with the, the woods inside, which are, most of them are um, mahogany. Mm-hmm. Like- so it's basically a... Uh, Neck block, um, bridge block, and a heel block, and it's tied together, and it's all mahogany. Yeah. With voids. Yeah. Have you ever done one with a complete center block all the way down the middle? Oh, yeah. But it's more like it looks like an E lay, laid on its side, the letter E. Yeah. So you had your, uh, like I said, the neck block and bridge block and tail block okay and but and with, then there's a, yeah a with void running on the back side yeah but then some i've done aluminum struts instead hmm. so it's uh but but to me the key key to it is the choice in the wood and the combination of the aluminum hmm. and then that's where you you get your definition and whatnot of the aluminum and uh, wood gives you the warmth. Yeah, they have a really unique tone. All of your guitars that I've played really have a unique tone, and it's um, it's hard to even describe, you know. But they definitely just have a uh, a different kind of edge to them, to the sound. Yeah, well, I'd have to agree to that. Uh, um, I mean, each guitar build is like a surprise at the end for me. Yeah. After the choice pickups, and uh, I, I pretty much know what they'll sound like if it's uh, the dimensions are the same as some others I built. Mm-hmm. I pretty much have a good idea what's going on, unless I'm doing a wood top. Yeah, and that changes the whole dynamic of the, the guitar. Hmm. 
they're always really light and really resonant. And I love that about, I, I just love that in a guitar. That's why I love old tellies, and that's why I love Dan Electros, and that's, you know, all my favorite guitars are really lightweight and really resonant. And I feel like you, you really nail that on, on all the guitars of yours that I've played. They're nice and light and resonant, and they just really ring. Oh, that's cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and I've I've seen a couple of the the ones that you're doing with wood tops. Is that spalted uh, maple? Is that what that is? No, I've done them with uh, spalt maple and uh, different kinds of maple. I've done some bird's eye and kind of pillow top maple and koa hmm. and some other things. They, they uh, they're on my website. Yeah. What is that? What's zeroguitars.com zeroguitars.com and I've been talking to you a little bit about the the harp guitar that you're making right now uh, are, are you done with that oh, oh, getting close yeah. to done <laughs> um, well one is um, one is complete I haven't decided on uh, which way I'm going to go if it's going to be a stereo guitar or not oh you're making two um, of them yeah yeah uh, the there's one on the website, and it's made out of uh, it's aluminum back and sides. The top is uh, Australian eucalyptus and maple. Wow. And so uh, it's kind of a visual thing. You'd have to look at it. And then uh, there's binding running in between all the different pieces. Hmm. And then there's Honduran mahogany inside the hard neck and uh, uh, let me see what else we got going on and then it's a maple neck with a uh, board mm -hmm. as far as one you can see that's on the actual website and then the other one is all aluminum mm -hmm. and uh, well first the wood top has uh, a run of uh, six sympathetic strings on the harp and then the aluminum one has six, uh, the low strings, and then four super treble strings. Wow, yeah. As a matter, as a matter of fact, you made two of the pickups. Yeah, that's the one that I made some custom pickups right. for. Yeah, yeah. it was... Yeah, that's the, one. The, the spacing on the, the string spacing and everything was weird enough that it, we had to custom make something to work because just any old off-the-shelf pickup wasn't going to work. Yeah, exactly. Is there a picture of that guitar on your website? Um, not yet. It's uh, I just put the back on it. And mm. usually when I put the back on any zero, it's pretty much well on its way to uh, whatever I'm going to do with the general look of the material. Yeah. And then uh, assemble it and wire it up. So that's one of the last steps so of the build. It, go ahead. That's one of the last steps of the build is to put the back on? Yeah. Well, with this, there's... Um, the aluminum one will have uh, two uh, Joe Barton uh, P90s, which are actually humbucking P90s. Mm -hmm. And uh, the two pickups that you built for it, yeah, built, made, whatnot. Yeah. So it'll have a 
it'll run stereo, so the guitar in the center will come out one side, and then uh, the sympathetic strings will split and go to a blend hmm. pot, so you can blend which whichever one you're using, or if you're using all ten strings. And so it, that way you you would use the guitar with a two amplifiers. Oh, okay. And that way you can shape shape the tone for the harp or the guitar in general. And is the idea behind it to play the play the guitar part of it and then let the other strings just resonate with with the resonant frequencies, or do you actually pluck the extra strings as drone strings? Well, <clears throat> the whole. Uh, the whole technique in playing harp guitars is, uh, in a way, to me, it's a mystery, and then I do understand what's going on. But uh, in the, the first one I built, uh, for instance, if you're doing some studio work, you could, uh, let's say, tune uh, strings relative to whatever key you're playing in. Mm-hmm. And then you could run, like, uh, the line for the harp strings into an app in the ISO room and Mm. mic that up. And then the guitar in the middle, you just play that whatever way, whatever sound you want. And with isolated. And if you didn't pluck the strings, it would be uh, sounding all the harmonics in whatever you're playing on the guitar. Hmm. And uh, there's enough output and volume there to where it's, it's in a pretty amazing sound, the wow. resonance from the harp part. Yeah, I really want to try one out when, when you're done with that. When you're done with that second one, and I want then, to check it out. And then also with your, your tuning is whatever you tune it to, once you get the dexterity down, and I myself haven't played one enough to, uh, the first one I made was a lefty, and that was uh, kind of difficult to play since it's upside down. Yeah. But uh, the aluminum one will be a righty, and I think I'll be messing more with that because uh, the first round on the other one, uh, it was pretty amazing what what can be done with those things. Hmm. Can you email me a picture of that aluminum one? I'd I'd like to use it uh uh in the show notes for the for the podcast. Yeah, I have some um I think I can give you a or text I it to have me. One where the part, parts are laid on. Yeah, I think I saw one. It's, big, yeah. it's like a it's kind of like a jazz master. Mhm. And then um, the lower bout is uh, the, the super treble run, and uh, the long neck bout, the harp neck is uh, six strings, and I think you could handle strings that would drop down to C or lower, wow. or you could even go with baritone strings. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Well, as, as aside from aside from uh, building guitars, I know that you repair guitars too. Do you do you spend kind of equal amounts of time on each, or do you spend more time building? Well, right now uh, I've been in the build mode for I had done 
four guitars and also started these two uh, harp guitars. And right now I've been working on all of these things for about two and a half years. Wow. I've got, I've got the guitars done. Are those custom orders? Yeah. yeah, all of them are. So, and one was a prototype. Okay. Which is a which is a small top, and that was just to figure out the shape and design. If somebody wanted, if somebody wanted to custom order one of these uh, harp guitars from you, what kind of price range would they be looking at? Oh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've got hours and hours and hours of work into them. Yeah, well, my selection of how I ended up building a guitar turned out to be, I mean, the whole body is the most difficult thing in in making the zeros. And and these hard things are really, really involved. Yeah. And I think if I do build another harp guitar, I would probably... I would probably modify or combine the techniques used in the other two mm-hmm. because it's, it's when I build it's more uh, I don't sit and plan it out I just kind of go for it right because I'm just basically always have been a one-off guy as far as guitars go yeah so it's a little more um it's more like go with the flow or whatever. Yeah, in the build. yeah, sure. It's like Zen. As long as it works and uh, feels right. Yeah. It usually turns out right. And you've got a couple of guitars for sale down at Emerald City Guitars in Seattle right now, too, don't you? I think there's uh, two yeah. two metal ones and then one uh, with a wood top. Yeah, yeah, actually, that's the proto for the... Uh, I made three of the same model based on that proto shape, but they're aluminum tops. Yeah. And there's a picture one on, one on the site. Yeah. They have a very small pickguard. Well, they're beautiful guitars. Well, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, I love them. Zero, ZeroGuitars.com is the website, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gene, I really... Thanks. I really appreciate. Oh, I, you know what? I had one more question. I have one more question for you. I wanted to ask you. Uh, I know you're a slide player, yeah. and uh, I, you make metal-bodied guitars, and it just seems to me like you should make a resonator. Have you ever made a resonator? Well, I've, I've played a lot of resonator guitars, but most of my. Uh I think I started playing slide in 1972 or something. Wow. And it was uh, kind of a mainstay as far as getting the gig Mm -hmm. for me because uh, I could fake steel, too, if it was, say, a country rock gig or whatever, or a blues gig. I use standard tuning when I play slide just because I don't want to carry a couple guitars and a resonator to me would be dealing with too much uh, like when you're out on the road and playing a lot yeah it's you know you want to travel light yeah right 
Uh, um, so I just went the approach of standard tuning. Yeah. And uh, and just a straight setup on a Stratocaster. Yeah. And I used like a 61 Stratocaster for 28 years. So as far as a traditional approach with, say, a resonator or a, a lap steel, lap steels are nice for... Uh, Sixth and ninth tunings. That's mm -hmm. always fun. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the straight, say, E or drop D uh, slide blues tuning, you, you find a lot on resonators. That's all cool and everything with me, and I love it. But um, the convenience, I mean, I, I would say I would do that if I sat down with it a while. Yeah. But I'm much more comfortable with just standard uh, guitar tuning. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. And that's just out of necessity. I really like your playing. It's You've got such an interesting sound. Do you have any of your music on your website? Uh, I had some up there, but I uh, actually I moved a lot of tunes to uh, SoundCloud. Oh, okay. And they're on SoundCloud, and it's... Uh, a real uh, eclectic uh, mix of material that goes all the way back to the early 70s. Wow. Up into the 90s. Yeah, I'll have to check and that out. So so it's it, it's kind of interesting. But yeah. uh, that's on SoundCloud. You just do a search with my name. Okay, yeah, I'll find a... Uh, actually, I'll put a link in the show notes uh, for the podcast. Cool. Well... I really appreciate you doing this interview with me. It's it's been a lot of fun, and uh, uh, I just I can't thank you enough, man. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Eric. Yeah, and we'll see you soon. Okay. And, uh, say hi to everybody out there in the world. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thanks, Gene. <laughs> okay. Well, that wraps it up for this edition of the Fret Files podcast, and uh, I want to thank you very much for listening and for participating. And uh, if you haven't participated, you should send me an email. And, uh, you know, I also wanted to mention that I'm selling pickups now. So if you want custom-made pickups, you can get them. Uh, if you go to my website, there's a link there. Or you can get them through Emerald City Guitars. has a, has a few in stock. And uh, they ship all over the world. So uh, you don't have to be in Seattle to get them. Or you, you can call and talk to them about it. But, yeah custom pickups made by yours truly anyway thanks for listening we'll see you next month thank you